the pride of Limerick, the young man named Sean Sheehan. The MMA media, Don Graham McDonald. The severe MMA people that are coming to the local shows way before everyone else. To see them coming up and they're getting their shot, and I'm proud that people are coming up with me. Welcome everybody, it's episode 127 of the Severe MMA podcast. Are you sick of us yet? Probably not. My name is Sean Sheehan. You're sick of me. Jeremy Bodder is with me from Bleacher Report. Jeremy Hartings. I'm good. I'm good. I mean, other than the fact that I'm sitting here having to do this podcast with you again. Uh, great. It really is a nightmarish situation for both of us. Like, I think like we have a long lasting, vigorous hatred for each other. And it's actually amazing that this is even happening. Yeah. I mean, I blame my agent. So you're, yeah, your agent, like, is he still with CAA? Like, are yeah, I'm a WME IMG guy now. Oh, so. oh yeah, I yeah. you are. Rich. I, I knew you were embedded in the UFC somewhere. Now you you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get all those interviews and stuff yourself, like so. Right now, I yeah. I just call up my agent and he he hooks it up. So yeah, of course. Right before we get into the MMA, you, someone you put an out and all tweet there that you want you wanted to give off about Man United, Everton, everything. Come on, give it to me. Tell me. Uh, oh, no, I just, I just wanted to talk about how the fact that all your guys are doping, apparently, and have been busted. So, like, I mean, of course you guys are cheating. That's uh, to be expected. It is Man United, after all. You work for C- CNN, don't you, at times? Um, yes. I knew you were fake news. Yeah, see? Yeah, see, I, so on Twitter, I have blocked, like, in the word, I muted the word fake news. Yeah. <laughs> along with every other Trump-related kind of thing that people, Trump fans tweet. And so I don't even see, like, people tweet fake news, and it's great. So I don't, I'm, I need to figure out how to mute you when you say that you, uh, here you on the podcast. That's oh, yeah. true. That's, that's actually possible. You can, you know, you can. But yeah, um, yeah, the, the, the whole ban thing was for... They they tried to get him into doping control during the celebrations, like, and they were basically told to fuck off. But then they went. So like, uh, it's, yeah, it's a bit over the top, but likely story. It's not too bad. So, how about you yeah, guys becoming? Well, how about you guys? How about you guys becoming uh, Manchester Chelsea or Chelsea United now with the, with signing Modic? I mean, I you know, pretty eventually you're just gonna have all the Chelsea guys and all your United guys are gonna be gone. You're so American, Matic. It's Matic, for fuck's sake. Whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. Oh, who, oh it was funny. Uh, Man United were playing in America on the tour the other day, and um, Daily Blind came on, and the stadium announcer called him Daily Blind, and you could just hear a groan from the crowd. It was so Nailed hilarious. it. Nailed it. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, but Matic is brilliant. I'm so happy we have him. He's, he, he's exactly what Man United need. I've been calling out for for years. Well, but you're always happy, like, you know, you you have this thing where you hate people, and then when they sign for United, all of a sudden, they're the best thing in the world, like like a Lukaku, for example. Yeah, yeah, that's, that is true, in fairness. But Manich, I've always loved Manich, in fairness. I've sure. always loved Mourinho as well. You know? Sure you have. But, yeah. I love Lukaku now, because he's Red Rom, you know, he's hashtag Red Rom. Yeah, I have to admit, that's a, that's a killer hashtag. Didn't you come up with that? I, I think I remember. no. No, I didn't. It was Man United tweeted it. No, but I, I saw it before Man United tweeted it. Like somebody was, yeah, yeah. Somebody had come up with it on Twitter, and I was like, well, that's kind of brilliant. I don't think it was me. Unfortunately, I've come up, I've come up with a lot of brilliant stuff, but um, not that. I came up with the idea for, you know, the tough when the uh, Carlos Barza won the belt. I came up with that exact idea like six months before, and then it happened. Oh, like, oh, so you kind of like fantasy booked it, and yeah. then, then they did it. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's always happening. McMahon is following me now, so I expect loads of brilliant matchups to be happening happening over the next few months in in the UFC and stuff. So there you go. Yeah, McMahon's a good dude, and like I, you know, I'm not gonna say he'll steal your ideas, but I mean he might. Yeah. He might steal your ideas. And you know, if he does, he'd probably privately give you credit. Whereas the other matchmakers just steal your stuff. Yeah, that'd be all right. What difference does it make? As long as it comes out, everything I, I come up with is brilliant anyway, so I'll be grand. McMahon as well, he has the best voice in the world. Is is he like half Australian, half Texan or something? I mean, I think he's full Australian, but he moved to Texas and lived, oh. you know, lived in Houston forever. Uh, but yeah, he does like he's got that Australian accent, but it's kind of faded a little bit with yeah. the, and so the Texas twang has come in. Yeah, it's, it's I love Mick Maynard, man. He's a yeah. truck. It's it's worth watching Dana White choose an like, contender series just to hear him speak for like thirty seconds uh, every time. It's absolutely brilliant. I still haven't watched that, and my wife wants to watch the Snoopcast, and uh, you know, I, I, I should should I watch that? I mean, should uh, I the Snoopcast is hilarious. Like, is it? He, he sings "Rockabye Baby" when people get knocked out. It's it's, fucking, it's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, are they just getting like are they just getting high and getting drunk and talking about fights? Yeah, and just like kind of half commentating along with him and your your favor is good as well because he just laughs really loud at everything Snoop says that's kind of half funny and it's actually I like I like your favor I think you make like they're not doing kind of play by play of the fights as such but your favor like makes points about fighting and stuff and I I enjoy that like I kind of maybe it's just me who enjoys that but I really like that but it's funny as well along with that so I mean they should couple them they should pair them with John Anik because I'll tell you what on Saturday night uh, during UFC 214, if I heard Joe Rogan and Dominic Cruz like passive aggressively bicker one more time, I was about to just mute the whole thing. God, that got so old. Yeah, Dominic Cruz has been getting a little bit bad like that. You know, he did it with Stan, so he keeps calling him Stan and like making weird comments, calling him "Oh, you're the Marine" and stuff like that. It's yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird. It's like this lippy, and and you know, in in fairness, that's the reason a lot of people don't like Dominic Cruz is because he's like yeah. that smarmy. Uh, that smarmy kid that you knew in high school that thinks he knows everything. And, and in fairness, Dominic Cruz does know everything um, and is awesome as job. But man, just the, I, if I heard them bicker one more time, just back and forth. Oh my God. I could not handle that anymore. I'm so used to it with Graham now that it's just natural to me. Dominic, I've like, I've been calling Graham Dominic Cruz for like a year now at this stage. He's dude. That's a good, that's a good comparison. That's a good comparison. Graham and Graham and Dominic Cruz. They're pretty much the same thing except for, you know, 200 pounds and, and a and foot difference. Yeah. And knowledge. As well. Yeah. yeah and not in pretty much everything else. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's your favorite? If you had to pick a three man boot, what's your favorite boot for the UFC? Uh, I would say Anik, probably Stan and Cruz, as long as Cruz isn't, you know, being Cruz. Yeah, I still like Rogan. He br- he brings a bit of, especially for finishes, big knockouts. He brings a bit of excitement to it. Like, I still I still think he's good. To be honest, I I like I like him because like maybe it's different for other people if they want to hear like the technical analysis. But like me, when I'm watching, I watch it from kind of a technical analysis point of view. And Cruz says stuff like to to bring more that of that out of it. But I like Rogan giving it a bit of a bit of oomph and stuff. But well, yeah. I do too. Except, I mean, well, I used to. I can't say I like Joe Rogan anymore. But I mean, the thing about Rogan that just kills me is, I mean, it's kind of like Dana White. So, like, if Dana says something is not happening or is happening, you can pretty much count on the opposite, right? Um, yeah. And I mean, just witness the whole GSP Bisping thing. Uh, that don't worry. Yeah, we will. And, and but I mean, it's the same thing with Rogan. Like when if Rogan says he got him, oh, that's deep then yeah. you know that the guy's going to get out. <laughs> you know, it's kind yeah. of annoying. It's true, but 
sometimes it is deep and people get out you know it's but he does do that a little bit all right but yeah uh right we we'll get into the commentary another bit in in a second because there was little there was touches of of bias in the commentary i think in the main event but let's get to that main event where John Jones and Daniel Cormier put on just a fantastic fight before John Jones knocked him out with the Kinshasa and East strike in the third round uh, to win. <laughs> I knew you'd like Good that reference. one. Good I, reference. I knew you'd like that one. Uh, <laughs> to win back his UFC light heavyweight um, championship. Just let me talk a little bit about the whole how the fight played out first. I, watching it live, it was a little bit like the first fight, and I talked about it last week that it, it it looked closer live than it did watching it back. Although I definitely think Daniel Cormier did a lot better in this fight than he did in the last fight. There was arguments for him to win both rounds live. I had it one, one, but I think looking back, I think John Jones actually won both rounds like end of the first round for maybe 65, 70 seconds. Cormier was, do- was dominating and that was the most domination he's ever had against John Jones landed. Lovely strikes was coming over the top with his left hook just landing so much on John Jones that it looked like he couldn't knock him out. He was landing that much with power strikes. Before that, Jones was doing extremely well, landing with his uh, with his low kicks, teeps to the body. Wasn't coming in, playing the inside game as much as he used to, uh, or um, as much as he did in the first fight, but it was picking him off very well from the outside, exactly kind of what he wanted to do probably in the first fight and in this fight as well. The second fight, it was a little bit more even. Cormier... <coughs> did a little bit of a kind of a Cain Velasquez a lot of the time and pushed forward and had Jones backing up and was landing kind of strikes to the body and stuff. Jones's output was a little bit lower, but I still thought Jones won, won the second round. They were both close enough, to be honest, but I think Jones had more output and he landed power strikes as well, whereas Cormier was only landing the power strikes. And I think if you look power strike before power strike, it was a little bit even. And then the output of Jones with the more strikes after that, what I thought was better. Come the third in, Jones, like it was so smart. We, we talked about it last week again. Game planning is what John, John Jones is excellent at. And there was a clip that <clears throat> surfaces on that Uprox uh, website where like, when McGregor and Poirier and Jones and Cormier were on stage, like what three and a half years ago, maybe they were talking about um, how Cormier did things that that Jones would notice, and then Jones was like, "Oh, tell me what it is." Or no, yeah, um, no. Cormier was like, Get, "If you guess what it is, I'll tell you what it is," or something like that. And then Cormier was like, oh, "I'm going to change that. I know. I see my weakness. You're not going to hit me with that left head strike." And like. This is so weird. That's exactly what I hit him with. Like he, what Jones did was for the f- the whole what was it three minutes of the first round of the third round, he just went low, low, low all the time. Low kicks, shin kicks, uh, calf kicks, just kicking him low all the time, kicking him to the body. And Carmi was expecting low kicks all the time. He he knew Jones was kind of trying to play the long game to use his reach to, to get stop him from getting the outside. At least he thought that. And in Jones, it was just all a setup. It was basically three minutes of a setup for Jones to come up the top and, and land that knee slash shin right into the face of Carmier and finished him off. Just absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, brilliant by Jones. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it last week, like John, you know, it, uh, compared to pretty much anybody else that I've ever spent time around or interviewed or anything else, I mean, John Jones is a game planner. Like, he, you know, yeah. he's got a different notebook for every opponent, uh, studies tape, you know, he keeps tape, film footage on his phone, on an iPad, uh, watches it, constantly takes notes. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you have a tell, if you've got a thing that you do 
And then maybe you don't even notice that you do. Um, like, you know, maybe Cormier didn't know that he did that. Uh, yeah, if you've got anything like that, no matter how small it is, John Jones is going to notice it and he is going to figure out or Greg Jackson or Mike Winklejohn, they're going to figure out how to exploit it. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I mean, and you're right. Uh, I mean, I haven't rewatched the fight. I, I had it to ODC, um, you know, live, but that's also admitting that, I mean, the, it could have gone either way. It could have been two O Jones. Um, I was not confident in that two O score. Uh, but I mean, you're right. It, it, just watching it and thinking back to the fight. I mean, it was all a setup. He kept going low, kept going low, and finally just went high. Um, and we see that work a lot in MMA. I mean, the, that kind of setup where, I mean, Donald Cerrone does the same thing, like where he'll go to the body, go to the body, go to the body, go to the head. Uh, we see it a lot, it, but rarely is it quite as effective as it was here, you know? Yeah, like we do see a lot. We see people trying it a lot. I think people are wise to it an awful lot. But the fact that Jones was like, <clears throat> sometimes you see, right, Wanderboy is a great example of it. In his fights with Dan Stitch, and he kept kicking to the body, maybe three or four or five, or five times, and then comes up over the top. But John Jones played a long game. Like he, he did it for the first two rounds, and a couple of times he threw the high kick. But in the third round, as I said, almost three minutes of kicking low, and you rare, you know, you rarely see that. It was almost like you know in the UFC game when it, you you see like red bits. If you keep kicking someone's leg, it'll keep getting redder and redder and redder on the, like the action bar until eventually he falls down and loses. It was kind of like that. I was like, oh, is he just attacking his legs for the whole time? Is he attacking his body so he takes away his cardio all the time? But that that could have been. A thing that someone would do, like that John Jones would do, but then you just realized that he's so smart and he, it was all to set up the head kick. And he said it afterwards, you know, Brandon Gibson, obviously, uh, his head striking coach with Mike, uh, Mike Winklejohn and Greg Jackson as well, just had this plan, a, ma- a masterful plan altogether. It was just, you know, it was, it was magic. But like I, I said last week, that I don't think, I think both guys were in their prime the last time they fought. But I I was wrong. I think both guys are under prime now when they fought this time. I thought DC was better. I thought Jones was better. He looked he looked like he had way more pop in his shots than he had before. And that's always been the one criticism you can kind of uh, give of John Jones. He came out quickly, landed some hard strikes in DC. You know, just took it to him for the whole fight. DC did the same. He it was there was a fight for the center of the octagon, fight for range for the whole fight. I thought it was just a magnificent fight way better than the first one i thought it should have won fight tonight but it didn't but it was just brilliant yeah it really was and i mean and if john if john jones was actually playing the long game then you know to me that indicates that he wasn't as worried about dc's you know punches as Mm -hmm. maybe we thought he was i mean because if he were then uh he would be looking for a a quicker way out you know or uh, more takedowns but for him to sit there and play that long game and set that up you know that shows me that maybe he wasn't in as much trouble uh wasn't being damaged as much as i thought he was yeah i think the one thing uh that i must mention is like DC didn't wrestle enough again for me, uh, just like the first fight. And I think looking back, that might be a regret of his. Now, Dominic Cruz made a great point on uh, on commentary that it's hard for him to get the underhooks where he likes to put guys against the fence because, uh, and take him down because John Jones is so tall. It's just physically, it's you know, it's hard to get up there and get those underhooks. John Jones can be faster and get um <clears throat> get the you know the advantage there. So that's tough for him. But I still don't think he he tried. Uh, he didn't try basically at all. I think once he kind of got half a takedown uh, and Jones got up, Jones took him down once, but it didn't really, you know, the Cormier just got straight back up. I thought there'd be more wrestling in this fight, but but uh, there kind of wasn't. But 
I suppose the stoppage is another thing. Where did you where did you lie in the stoppage? Do you think it was do you think it was late or do you think it was okay? Yeah, no, it was late. I mean, I, I was pretty much screaming at the TV, you know, stop the stop the fucking fight. Uh, it, it, but it also happened so quickly. It's not like he, John McCarthy, let him let Cormier take, a, you know, a minute of extra damage that he should have taken. I mean, all that happened over the course of less than ten seconds, um, maybe even far less than ten seconds. And so, when you're a referee and you're in that moment. Um, with that short period of time, I can't really fault him, but yeah, I mean, I, I believe it was a, I believe it was a late stoppage, but I mean, one of the things that annoys the shit out of me is, you know, hopping on Twitter and we saw John McCarthy, you know, explained that, you know, he watched it back. It was, it was a late stoppage. He let him take a few extra punches and everybody's responding with, Oh, that's very classy. You're the best in the business. Dude, John McCarthy hadn't been the best in the business in years. Mark Goddard is the best in the referee in the in the business. Um, you know, and, and McCarthy's a distant number two or three at this point, right? I mean, am I am I crazy? I've I've been saying Mark Goddard is the best for about three years now. I definitely agree with that. I think I still think John McCarthy is really good, but I, I do think Mark Goddard he's the most calm, he's kind of the most assured. I think there's two ways of refereeing it, and we've talked about this in the podcast before. There's being like John McCarthy, where you're like you're kind of in you're part of the fight, you're a feel of you feel the fight, you know, you it's all done in nature. And then there's Mark Goddard where you're let you know, letter of the law, you know, just you know, it, it's hard to explain, but it, I think they're they're very different referees, but vote very good. I I definitely think Mark Goddard is better. There's uh, cage grab things as well. I think he referees them very well. Point deductions, I think he referees them very well as well. John McCarthy tends, you know, we talked about last week about, you know, the scoring system and things. John, John McCarthy is kind of more an arbiter of what's right and wrong these days than an actual referee himself. And, I, you know, he's still a very good referee, though. But I think every every decision he makes he kind of looks to what people are looking at rather than looking to make the correct decision. If, if you know, if you know what I mean, but no, I, I do. Yeah. I, yeah, do. I, I wouldn't criticize him that much. I, I think he, I think he, he's still top three referees in the world, but the, the, on the, just on the finish, I thought it was okay. To be honest, like when, when DC, he got hit with the, the Kinshasa knee strike and, and kind of went flailing across the, uh, the octagon, and I was like, oh no, he's, this is, you know, this is, well, not oh no, but like, oh, this is over. And then he went down and he's kind of head hit the ground. I was like, oh, stop it, stop it. But then they turned the camera and DC was actually kind of getting up against the fence. He was like pushing his head against the fence. I was like, okay, that was, he shouldn't have stopped it there. I was right. And then he kept getting up. John Johnson with two or three shots, tried to get up. And then his face went down. And I was like, okay, it's over now. And then he hit him with like two strikes. I was like, that's time to stop it. But as yeah. uh, as John McCarthy said himself, he hit him with two, maybe three more shots after that, that he let go that it should, you know, there was definitely two or three late shots, but I'm okay with it. You know, in that sort of fight, I think Daniel Carmier would rather have taken those two or three more shots than, than it being stopped, you know, possibly early. Wouldn't have been early, but if he'd stopped it earlier, he didn't, you know, I, I like, I don't mind when you give someone a chance like that. Now, if you give someone a chance like Chris Weidman against Luke Rockhold, where he's getting his face smashed into the ground for like two minutes, that's terrible, as you mentioned earlier. But I was okay with this. I thought it was all right. Yeah, I mean, look, DC, I mean, he thought it was he thought it was an early stoppage, you know, but as we saw after the fight, you know, he was he was concussed, he was out of it. Uh, and of course, somebody like that who doesn't even know what happened, uh what put them in that position to begin with, somebody like that is going to think that it's an early stoppage. Um, 
you know, and, and so yeah. I, I, I like, you know, we, you can debate referees until the cows come home. I really like Mark Goddard. I like that. He's not a superstar referee. He doesn't have like, you know, a cute little hand signal. He doesn't uh, do interviews talking about his stoppages and things like that. I, he just does his job. Um, I like that. He's very clear and concise with the rules. If somebody messes up, he pulls them aside and says, Hey, you know, don't do that again. This is what's going to happen. Um, I, I really like that. Um, and I just, I believe that he has firmly, firmly cemented the, his place at the top of that, that referee list. But I mean, you know, it referees in mixed martial arts are evolving. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when we had Steve Mazzagatti fumbling around and, you know, mm-hmm. ruining, ruining people's careers and lives, um, just by being inept. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, refereeing like mixed martial arts, like, like fighting itself. I mean, it's constantly evolving and it's getting better and better. And I, I don't think we've seen, I mean, I think it's going to be another 10 years before we have a good collection of refs who can enforce the rules, who can make good stoppages most of the time. Um, you know, and until we get there, we're kind of stuck with Goddard and, and to a lesser extent, McCarthy and then everybody else. Yeah. I, I think it might be less. I, I was actually, you know, I was at Cage Legacy the other day and I was in the rules meeting and stuff before. And Paul Redmond was the main referee there who obviously fought in the UFC and is still fighting in Bama and stuff now. And like, if I think you need to get guys like him in doing it, like people who have that experience in, in you know, on the highest level and stuff like that. I was sitting caged right alongside the cage. I could hear him talking to people. I thought he did a great job as well. You know, there is people out there that can do it. And it's guys like him, you know, who... You know, John McCarthy and Mark Goddard and stuff should be looking to kind of take on their wing and, and bring, you know, bring through to, you know, to be referees after their, um, you know, yeah. after their, their uh, career is up. Like, I, I think that's a, a definitely a viable option for, you know, a lot of fighters. Most fighters are not going to make enough money to, to live off. And, you know, being a referee, you can earn a little bit of money anyway, even if, if you have yeah. another job or whatever. But Well, I, I don't know if he's even doing it anymore, but Frank Trigg was refereeing for a while and he was actually quite good. Um, so hopefully he's still doing that because, uh, you know, guys like that who have been long time, like you said, like long time veteran fighters can really easily transition into being really good referees. Yeah, what did you think of DC's um, reaction? I suppose he kind of pushed John McCarthy a little bit. You know, I suppose it's very understandable for me. I mean, he was concussed, yeah. you know, yeah, he yeah. was concussed. So like any reaction that he had from the moment the fight was stopped until after that terrible Joe Rogan interview, you can't really blame him yeah. uh, for that kind of reaction. Yeah. What about the interview? Like I can feel for Joe Rogan a little bit because the, you know, I think the reason he interviewed him was because DC was like irate a little bit or, you know, it was cause he was concussed. I'm not saying it was bad or anything, but like, it's definitely forgivable. But I think the fact DC was like kind of running around, like arguing with Dana White, it, it looked like DC had something to say and he wanted to get it out. And I think Joe Rogan saw that and was like, oh, I better give him his chance. Like, if I don't give him his chance to, to talk, he might be mad or, you know, he, this is his big moment. He just lost his title. I can understand that, but I, de- I definitely don't think he should have interviewed him at that, uh, you know, at that point. He, as you said, badly concussed, just didn't know what he was saying, got really emotional just before Joe Rogan went to interview him and basically just kind of cried down. It was, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and yeah. the thing is, so I think there's a couple of things at play. I think, number one, uh, Rogan wanted to... I, you know, because we got that soundbite from from John Jones where he cut the big baby face promo talking about how DC is a champion for life and how he wants to be more like him. And uh, I think he wanted to get that closure soundbite from DC's side. Um, I think that was number one. I think number two is the fact that Joe Rogan works with DC 
quite yeah. a bit. Everybody likes him. Um, and so they wanted to offer him a chance, you know, and there's a little bit of that bias that you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not in fight, but after the fight, a uh, little bit of that bias. Um, but you know, that, I mean, so Zach Candido, who's one of the producers uh, for their TV shows, um, yeah. pretty much they put the kibosh on interviewing, you know, knocked out fighters uh, just because of that exact kind of thing that played out. They, they, you know, and so it was a decision that Joe Rogan made. It was, it was not production. It was not the truck. He decided to do it. And so because of that, I was, I'm a little bit more harsh on him than maybe I normally would be. Um, If he was told to do it, if Dana White said to, you know, get over there and do it. um, I, you know, I would say, okay, but um, then, you know, then it wouldn't be his fault. But I mean, the fact that he decided to do it took, you know, took it on his own to do it. I, I didn't like that. And, you know, and I also think it, you know, I mean, DC was crying. It was a sad moment. Um, and you know, you went from John cutting that great babyface promo to a very sad, not really easy to understand DC. And then you went back to, to Jones calling out Brock Lesnar. Um, and so it's kind of weird. I think it just would have been better if John Jones had, had done his babyface promo and then gone right in called out Brock Lesnar. Uh, kind of would have been the perfect ending. And then we can hear from DC later. You know, there's no yeah. sense in, there's no reason to try to hear from him in the moment. You know, you're going to get an emotional response, even if he's not concussed. Yeah. Um, it's better to wait. I thought you, you hit the nail head there. I thought it was obviously very bad day for DC, but I thought it was the perfect day for John Jones. You know, that promo he caught went over, kind of kissed the top of DC's head. It's, you know, says he wants to be a man like him. And you know, I nearly brought a tear to an eye, like, because it was, it was a guy. John Jones is a guy who's been constantly accused of being fake. And, like, it's a little bit like McGregor as well. After fights, you just see the real person all the time. You know, after Nate Diaz fight, McGregor, you know, was, you know, as real as he's ever been. After fights where he's won Dustin Poirier as well, every fighter he comes out and he says he respects him. John Jones, after that fight, it it was just, it was really nice to see that... It looked like someone maybe who got these life back on track and who looked, you know, felt a little bit sorry and maybe a little bit humble as well. Like John Jones used to used to be a guy who always said he was humble. And when people say they're humble, you know, they're not humble. But this was right. kind of acting humble and being humble. <clears throat> and I, I thought that was, uh, I thought that yeah, was really I mean, good. You know? But look, but look, we've seen that before. Like we've seen that from, you know, and that's why I'm a little bit, dude, it was, I mean, honestly, it was one hell of a baby face promo. But at, at the same time, like, I mean, I, the whole thing was incredible. I mean, you know, him dropping down, crying, being overcome with emotion, uh, the whole promo that he cut talking about DC and talking about getting his life back together. Like I, you know, in a normal situation, that would be an emotionally overwhelming moment that might change the way some people think about people. But with John Jones, like, and I can't help it, man. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I mean, I've heard this before. Like I've seen this guy do this before. And, you know, you, you say that after the fights, you know, that's when you hear, see the real emotion. And I think that's true. But I mean, after yeah. the last time they fought, you know, he said that he hopes DC was off crying somewhere. And so like, <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard for me to, to, it's hard for me to fully invest and believe in him. I got, I hope, I hope that everything that he has gone through has led him to, to a real moment um that he has gotten his shit together uh you know the passing of his mother which is during his training camp which is incredibly sad uh i hope that john jones has you know finally gotten his shit together because if he has he's got a chance to be a really really big star the kind of star he should have been years ago uh but in the back of my mind i just think i've heard this shit before dude i've heard you say this stuff before yeah Uh, like uh, you're talking about big star great fighter as well like uh, 
I've been a big fan of Demetrius Johnson has been the pound for pound number one for years, but I definitely think it, I definitely think it's neck and neck now. Like, like I, I still think Demetrius Johnson's skill for skill is definitely the best fighter we've ever seen in MMA. But John Jones, like as a big man, it's it's harder as a big man to have those unbelievable skills just to be so fast and so technical and everything. But he, like as I said, he added power to his game. I thought, you know, I thought he's. His his striking technique and just his boxing and everything, his range management against someone as good as da- uh, Daniel Cormier was just excellent. Again, like he, it's hard to say he's not the pound for pound uh, number one at the moment. I know you've been a big advocate of him. You think he's the greatest of all time, don't you? Oh yeah, I mean I've thought that for I think probably six years now. Um, I I just think you know, and and you're right, like Demetrius Johnson. It, the thing about him, I mean, he he is literally great at everything. Yeah. And the thing that gives him the edge that's so impressive is that it's just so fast. Um, but John Jones is also great at everything, and he's just he's so much more creative and varied and willing to try things that nobody else is like. It's like he's what I mean. Back in the day, honestly, dude, when he first started off, when he got first got to the UFC, uh, I mean, the dude literally watched YouTube videos of people doing stuff in movie fight scenes and then tried it in his fights. And like he he's a lot more disciplined now than he used to be back in the day, but he's still that creative um it just he can hit you from so many different directions try so many different things and and i just think if you look at his record you there's nobody that can look at his yeah. record of the people he has beaten uh over the course of you know the past six years or whatever at, and tell me that he's not the greatest fighter in the history of the sport uh they to and to me it's not even a debate demetrius johnson is fantastic um is easily the number two pound for pound, probably even maybe the second greatest fighter of all time for me, but even better than Fedor, but there's just no way he touches John Jones. There's, you know, there, it just, for all his faults and all the stuff that he's done outside the cage, John Jones inside the cage is a utter revelation. He's an utter revelation. Will there be another former UFC champion added to his list in the next, in the next fight? Do you think this Brock Lesnar fight's going to happen? Yeah, I do. I do think it's going to happen. I, I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know if it's going to be next, dude, uh, but you know, I mean, I said it last week, like it's, it's, it's a lot more likely than people think it is. Um, and especially now, I mean, you can tell dude, Brock Lesnar is, I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. Brock Lesnar is the hardest human being on the planet to get in touch with, to, to, to talk to, especially yeah. if you're a reporter, but even if you're just a normal person, he's impossible to talk to. Um, and the fact that, you know, the Associated Press was able to reach him within 20 minutes of that promo ending and go to get a quote and get a story out like that's that shows you just how much Brock Lesnar um, either wants that fight or wants to use that fight to get a better WWE deal. But honestly, like I, I'm at the point now where I think that even if he is using it to negotiate a WWE deal um, and he does resign with WWE. He still fights John Jones. I, I think it's just like, you know, when he got the permission to fight Mark Hunt, I think he's going to get permission to fight John Jones. Cause I mean, honestly, it, for WWE, it's, it's a, it's a win-win, you know, if he goes in and loses to John Jones, so what John Jones is mm-hmm. the greatest fighter in the history of the sport. Um, if he goes in and beats John Jones, I mean, holy shit, that's, you know, WWE's wet dream. And so it's, it, I think you see that fight in 2018. Uh, people are talking about December 30th. It's not happened to December 30th. Um, but I do think you see it in 2018. I, I think that I, I'm not sure when. Um, if it doesn't happen, 
in January or February, uh, then I don't think it happens until next summer because, you know, he's got the WrestleMania stuff. WWE is yeah. going to be on TV every week. Can't really take time off to train. So I think you could, uh, if I were to predict it, I think ultimately what you see is you see uh, after WrestleMania, I, he goes into training camp and he fights John Jones at International Fight Week next summer. Brock Lesnar has found a way to have his cake and eat it too. That, yeah, he, he always does. Yeah, man. yeah, it's it's he just brilliant. Does. Last thing on this subject, pay per view boys, Lesnar versus John Jones. What do you think? Ah, dude. I mean, it's easily over a million, right? Um, I reckon I, two. Yeah, I think you're looking at two. I was gonna say I think you're looking at two million, probably. And, and you know, and and this last Saturday when Dana White said they're trending over one million, I mean, how many times has he said that? And it's, you know, it's never been true. I mean, sometimes it's been true, but it's rarely ever true. So I, I don't think that this last weekend did, did over a million buys. I, you know, I, I think it probably hit seven fifty, eight hundred, 800, which is still really good considering the landscape of, you know, UFC pay-per-views these days. But if you've got John Jones uh, and Brock Lesnar, even if there's nothing else on the card, that's good. Even if that's a one fight card, I think mm-hmm. you're still looking at 2 million. And if they stack it up, um, I did, you know, and put it on international fight week. Uh, I think you're looking at two, maybe 2.5 million. I can't wait. I really, I re- oh, it's just going to be brilliant. I can't it's wait. Just- I'm already excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like super pumped for it. And I, Me I mean, you know, and I'm extremely confident that John Jones beats the shit out of him, but I am, I still want to see it. Yeah. Right. Let's move on <laughs> down the card. We'll have more questions about that later on. Anyway, uh, Tyron Woodley against Damian Maya. This, this was maybe the most disappointing fight that we've seen in MMA in a, in a long time. Like l- last week we talked about it and I talked about it as I did a Facebook live chat with, with Niall just before the fights. And like I predicted this fight would go like it did up until the point that it kept going like it did. <laughs> if, if that makes it like I thought Woodley would stop his takedowns. He keeps stopping his takedowns and then he'd realize, OK, now I can stop his takedowns and I let my hands go a little bit and knock him out. But he didn't. He just kept stopping takedowns for five rounds, and it became one of the most boring fights in UFC history. After Tyron Woodley has just had two of the most boring title fights in UFC history against Stephen Wonder by Thompson, it was just awful, wasn't it? Yeah, I know that hurt you to say that. Uh, yeah, to talk about Stephen Wonder by Thompson that way. You know, I, I know that hurts you, but but you're right, dude. And I just yeah. wrote a column about this that, that came out this morning. Um, the thing is, is that, you know, there's a disconnect uh, between Tyron Woodley and, you know, Dana White and the UFC mm-hmm. fans. So, so we've been conditioned as fans by Dana White, by the UFC, uh, to believe that a real fighter goes in, even if they're a champ, goes in and takes risks. Um Tyron Woodley doesn't believe in that. Tyron Woodley views himself as a professional athlete. And so he's going in to get the win uh, because look, and the one thing that, you know, I mean, Dana never talks about obvious for obvious reasons, whenever he's shitting on his champions is let's say Tyron Woodley goes in there and takes risk and he gets submitted, which was a very real possibility. Uh, Then he goes from making what 500,000 or whatever he made down to 75,000. I mean, contractually uh, when you're, when you're a champion, you get paid a lot more. And if you lose that belt, you go back to your old contract, you go back down, you don't, you don't stay at the same pay rate. And so, and they don't talk about that. You know, it's the same thing with Demetrius Johnson. I mean, Demetrius Johnson might be making good money as a champ. If he loses that belt, the UFC is going to pay him 40 and 40 or 50 and 50 Uh, Mm -hmm. that. And do you think, that just because you go in there and you take risks, like let's say if let's say Tyron went in there and he took risks, he lost the fight. Do you have, do you think the UFC is going to go? You know what? You took some risk. 
we'll we'll keep on paying you 500 grand to fight. No, no, they won't because they have not ever done that ever. Um, you know, except for guys like Chuck Liddell, who are Dana, you know, people who are Dana's boys, they don't do that. And so Tyron Woodley goes in, he views this as a, it is his profession. He is a professional athlete more than he is a professional fighter. And he's, he is trying to keep his place on top of the heap. And so, and that's fine. That to me, that's fine. The fight was boring as fuck. It was a terrible, terrible fight. As long as Tyron Woodley understands that he is going to be deeply unpopular and he's not going to get the big fights. He's not going to get big promotional pushes, anything like that. As long as he understands that, it's his decision to keep doing what he does. I, it is up to the UFC to find somebody that can beat him. Uh, you know, even if he's just negating their game plan and not executing his own game plan, it is up to the it, it is up to the challenger to overcome that. Like, like I mean, like Ric Flair said, to be the man, you got to beat the man, right? I mean, Tyron Woodley is the man, and if he chooses to do that, knowing full well, keeping in mind, knowing full well that that things like Saturday night where he loses the GSP fight. Um, as long as he understands that and is fine with it, there's nothing we can do about it. Nothing at all. I I agree and I, I disagree as well at the same time. <clears throat> I agree because I think that's the way you should fight. I think you should fight winning fights, and I think that's the way you know people should fight. But when you spend a year complaining that you're not getting a push and that you're the best fighter and best UFC welterweight of all time and pound for pound best fighter in the world and you think you should get a push, and then the UFC start giving you a little bit of a push, and he said that himself beforehand, you know, he was on Sway, that that um, popular uh, uh, radio show, and, and a few other places. That push is only good if people want to see you fight. Right, and, and that's why I said there's a disconnect. Like, yeah. he, I mean, he has to understand that what he does is going to lead to, you know, one path or the other. Um, if he doesn't understand that, that's on him, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I mean, people are not going to consider him the greatest welterweight of all time if he keeps fighting like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, far from it, in fact. And, and it, 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 so he has to understand that. As long as he could accept that, then that's that's his decision uh you know i mean but you're right right now he he doesn't really seem to get that you know but i mean i th- I thought he kind of did like in the press conference afterwards when he said you know that's fine take the gsp fight you know you i'll just I'll keep knocking down whoever they put in front of me maybe he's starting to get it a little bit i don't know yeah the other thing as well was that it, it wasn't just that he fought a safe fight it's that he could have fought a better fight and won easier you know he after I tweeted the time after 14 takedown, he stopped 14 takedowns. He's not going to get taken down then. You know, Damien Maya, they were both sweaty. Damien Maya had gotten tired. Woodley was winning the strike. And he, he could have opened up and Damien Maya wasn't going to take him down and beat him. It just wasn't going to happen. He could have knocked Damien Maya out from, Dana White said it from the second round on. And I agree with him. He, he, he definitely could have. He could easily have upped that pace, even a small bit. Even, you know, Damien Maya started throwing a lot of kind of leg kicks and, uh, and left hands. He could have started countering them with big shots, not put himself in much danger, really, uh, with his back against the fence. Or, or when he started pushing Demi Maya out uh, into the center of the octagon. Like, at the start, Maya did a good job of pushing him against the fence, and he kind of, you know, he had his head between his legs, and he was really trying hard to take him down. But that didn't happen much after that. He just kept falling short on takedowns, kept, you know, catching his ankle, trying to pull him down. It just wasn't working. He, he just wasn't taking him down on that night, and everyone knew it. But, like, 
Woodley, there's a responsibility as well, I think, to actually, if, you know, if you were the champion like that, it's not, it's a responsibility to win, but it's also a responsibility to, to, to win in the easiest possible way, I think. Uh, especially when, you know, when your MO is to go out and win in the easiest possible way. I think it would have been easier for Tyron Woodley to throw an extra two or three shots and get the knockout there. I, I like, this it's grand to fight safe fights, and a lot of people do it. Dominic Cruz does it. I think he's kind of the master of it. GSP has done it down the years as well. But I think they do it in a different manner. Like I don't think GSP has the power, or, or Dominic Cruz has the power of Tyron Woodley. Um, you know, and and they kind of need the game plan to become great. But Tyron Woodley is great because he has that game plan and because he has the physical attributes as well. But when you only use one of them, you're going to be deeply, deeply unpopular, and that's. He's no one to blame, not only himself, because as, as I said, and as he said, the UFC have been pushing him. They have been, you know, they've been helping him, getting him on places where he wants to get, but it's, you know, and he, he's lost the, the GSP fight over. I know you'll have an opinion on this. Dana White said afterwards, he said, someone asked him, when when did you decide to give uh, make GSP Bisping fight? And he said, in the fifth round. Uh, <laughs> how vindictive is that? Like, is, that's just... Typical I mean, Dana White, isn't it? It is typical Dana White, and it is vindictive. Um, it's also not, you know, it's not surprising, right? I mean, that's I I full well expected, and in fact, you know, I was over with some friends watching the fight, and when the fifth round ended, um, I said, "Well, he's going to lose the GSP fight. He was supposed to fight GSP, but he's not now. Just watch." And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Uh, you know, and I kind of want to touch on a thing. You know, you said he has a responsibility to go in there and win in the easiest way possible i don't think that's true i have to disagree i I think that he has a responsibility to himself and to his family and and whatever he decides is the best course of action for him to uh you know continue making as much money for his family as possible and and, you know people say well he uh he wasn't thinking about money because he could have had the gsp fight yeah he could have um but the odds of him like you know if he opened himself up to a damian maya uh takedown uh the odds of him losing just got exponentially greater and so i you know that's why in his training camp he literally only drilled takedown defense i mean he really didn't do anything else he would bring in uh 10 guys they would all shoot on him one after the other that's all he did that was i mean that is what he prepared for what you saw on saturday was his game plan that's what he prepared for and so i think his only responsibility um you know because we're not paying his salary like if he you know if he if he loses his contract and and starts getting paid less are we the fans gonna make it up no, they're not. Uh, his only responsibility is to himself, to his family, and getting the job done in the safest way possible. But he, again, he also has to understand that it is boring as fuck to watch. He is going to be unpopular. Uh, and as long as he understands that, fine, whatever. But he can't really get mad at us, get, can't get mad at the fans, can't get mad at Dana White for calling him out and calling it boring and, you know, and, and, losing the promotional push that he's been getting as long as he understands that and accepts that that's his that's his decision yeah uh, yeah i see where you're coming from but i i, I do think open it a little bit would have been easier i I think that it is safer but I maybe you that, should go and be his coach yeah um, i'd be i I do a great job I actually, well i mean you coach andrew mcgann and it would, like you've cornered one fighter mm-hmm. ever andrew and he lost right so well, I I've did uh, I helped Dave Fogarty out with his fight on Bama there last year, and he won. So oh, okay, all right, yeah, I'm but Dave Fogarty's awesome. He so. is. I'm unbeaten in MMA. Let's be honest. Yeah, there. yeah, and in life uh, also. 
Yeah, that's true. Did you score five nil for Tyron Woodley? I saw some people saying Maya was pushing the pace. Maybe could have won, robbed one round. He landed two. I think it was a fourth round. He landed two hard left hand shots, and he was he was going forward. Did, did you score five nil or? I had it five nil. I mean, I could have had it forty nine forty six for you know for Woodley. I I can see that that doesn't offend me or anything. But yeah, I had it five nil. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one last thing on that. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier on with fin scraps and stuff. Tyron Woodley, I think, was in the first round. Maya was deep on a takedown at one stage. He's probably his best effort of the whole fight. And Woodley grabbed the cage and Herb Dean split him up and and uh, warned him for that. I, I think there needs to be a rule change there. I think if you grab the cage like that, you should be put on your back and in half guard or else uh, you give... Damien Maya should have got the chance. He said he could go into Tyron Woodley's half guard or it could be standing on the feet. I think that yeah. need, that rule needs to be changed. If you do that, get rid of points, taking away points for fin scrubs, eradicate that, and have that rule in. I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that would probably cut down on uh, because look, I get when people grab the cage; it's human nature, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I I think that it would quickly change your nature if you knew that you were going to be put in a disadvantageous position if you do it. So yeah, I, I like that. I I would I would agree to change that rule. Who do you think should be next for Tyron Woodley? There's isn't many challengers now, as as we said, we we get to GSP Bisping thing in a second. But uh, Deanna White and Robbie Lawler, the, you know, Don Cerrone just lost Wonderboy, just lost Gunnar Nelson, just lost. I suppose Pons and Ebio is there as well. Not many names really, is there? No, I mean, I, I you know, I think if if Dana White is Dana White, I think he probably like. Uh, puts him against Pazanibio and like puts it on the prelims of a Fox card or you know FS1 card or something like that. Uh, if he's truly vindictive, which he is sometimes, but I mean, I think I think I mean the best option is probably Robbie Lawler, right? There's there's not really many other good options. Nate Diaz, I've yeah, said dude, it for you a know while. I know, but you know Nate Diaz is not gonna. I mean, unless they pay him twenty million dollars, and they're not gonna pay him twenty million dollars to fight Tyron yeah. Woodley. Although maybe they would just to try to get the belt off of him. I don't know. Maybe the McGregor versus Woodley super fight champion for, or, uh, against uh, what's his name uh, Diaz champion versus champion that'd be brilliant. Yeah, I don't, I don't see Conor McGregor taking that fight ever. Yeah, or oh, well against against Diaz. I'm saying if Diaz beat uh, oh. be Woodley, yeah, but. yeah, I could see that. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Chris Cyborg against Tanya Avenger. Um, this was kind of a bit like the Woodley Maya fight where. Cyborg was being very, very careful, watching out from the takedown, landing a lot more shots, obviously, than Woodley and pushing forward as well. But then she decided to up the pace. What well, it was in the third round to finish, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and she landed, you know, the shots she needed to uh, to finish that one. Not too much to say about this one, really. I think I thought it was maybe the the most refined, uh, you know, performance of Cyborg's career. I think she realized Tanya Heaven Evanger is as tough as a two dollar stake. And that she could take, you know, more of a licking than most of the people that that she fight, and and she did that. She took a lot of shots uh, in the first two or three rounds, and and just kept coming. But in the end, she just overwhelmed her a bit. But props to Tanya Evans. I thought she did, you know, she did pretty well. She landed a couple of shots on Cyborg. She had her one really good hard shot. She kind of half took her down at one stage as well. She was getting in. She was. I thought she went for, uh, you know, the takedowns as well when she could. She said afterwards she was a little bit disappointed with herself, but I don't think she really has anything to be disappointed in. I thought she did about as well as, as anyone could have fought against Cyborg. Yeah, I mean, Cyborg, it's like you mentioned, I mean, she did 
she felt more of a tactical fight than we're used to seeing him. And mm-hmm. as she gets older, we're seeing more and more of that instead of her going in and just, you know, blitzing somebody to death. Uh, she's going in and picking more of her shots. Um, I gotta say, man, Tanya Avenger, that, you know, she was fighting out of the wrong weight class. She wasn't in the best shape, probably because she was fighting out of the wrong weight class. Um, but I mean, I think she won. I think she won more than she lost yeah. on Saturday night because she, I mean, she was not expected to win. She was expected to get blitzed. I mean, people who have never seen Tanya Evinger fight probably were like, you know, who is this woman? She's going to get killed. And, and she was really tough. And and usually uh, being tough to me isn't, I mean, it's an admirable trait, but it's not like a winning trait, you know? Uh, but with Tanya Evinger, man, I mean, dude, she, like, I make the joke all the time on Twitter about, you know, if I had to pick a crew of people to go fight in a waffle house or a walmart parking lot with me like she would be one of my first picks because and for that exact reason like you hit her i mean cyborg beat the crap out of her and not only did she not go down i mean she took it uh kept going didn't even really she she didn't start bleeding until the very end of the fight you know um i i think tanya avenger at 135 is going to be a pretty interesting player uh, just because she is a smart fighter. She knows what her strengths are and she uses her strengths to win, to win the fights. Kind of like, kind of like Tyron Woodley, except a whole lot more exciting most of the time, you know? And, and I think that she did, she, it was a one-sided fight. She had almost no offense, almost no yeah. real high points, but the biggest high point for her was standing in there with cyborg, uh, taking all that punishment. Like I said, man, I think she won. I think this was, she lost the fight but I think it was a win. Yeah, I'd love to see her fighting Juliana Pena and staying in the UFC, uh, going on to 135. I think that's a, a good stylistic matchup. It'll be a, a rough, aggressive wrestling match, I think. And I'd like to see that. I think it's good. What about Cyborg? Do you think Holly Holm is next for her? Was Dana White was talking about it afterwards. Yeah, What's I mean, it? I think it's yeah. either... I think it's either... Holly Holm. I mean, you know, I think they'll try. I think they'll try to make a play to get Ronda Rousey uh, to fight her in December. But well, first of all, Cyborg's contract is up in October, so they've got to come to an agreement. And I'm not sure if she has a champions clause in her contract or not. Uh, you know, that would cause her contract to roll over. But her contract's up, so as long as they come to an agreement, and she sticks around. Which now that she's the champ, um, and both sides seem to have gotten past their uh interesting history that they've had you know where dana kind of talks about her being mannish and looking like vanderlei silva in a dress and all that stuff uh cyborg is a very gracious woman to be able to overlook all that and for you know forgive and forget or at least forgive um as long as you know i think they're in a good place i think they will do what it takes to keep her because i think they realize she is a draw uh, for them and they don't have really any other female draws at the moment with Rousey gone. And so I think they try to keep her like, let's just assume that she's sticking around. I think they try to get Ronda Rousey to fight her in December. I do think they fail. I can't imagine Ronda Rousey ever coming back considering she doesn't even want to talk about fighting at all. Uh, And so I think at that point, then you look at Holly Holm and I think I, I would not be surprised to see that as either the main event or one of the main events of that year in show. Uh, I could see, Chris Cyborg versus probably Holly Holm in Brazil with Tyron Woodley and uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio as the co-main event. I, I could see him doing that <laughs> to to, uh, to Woodley. Ponzinibbio, obviously he's Argentinian, but he has a big following in Brazil. I think I think he's even trained in Brazil, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I, I could see that happening. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they'll try to get Ronda Rousey back, but it's going to be very tough. If, like, she's ran for Cyborg for so long. She's she, If she's desperate, maybe now is the time to take it. But yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I well, I mean, I, I think that the one hitch on the Holly Holm thing is going to be, uh, you know, I mean, she made over $2 million for the Misha Tate fight. Uh, she's been making a lot of money and she's going to mm-hmm. want a lot of money to fight Cyborg. So uh, mm-hmm. there's not a great relationship uh, with Lenny Fresca as her manager and the UFC. And so there's going to be some probably ugly negotiations going on. Uh, but as long as I, you know, I think that is the most logical next fight. Uh, and I think, you know, Tanya Evinger and Jermaine DeRendami, I think that's probably, um, probably the next fight there or that, you know, it's a good enough fight uh, for her. Um, man, they, they blistered Jermaine, didn't they? Like I, I've never heard a commentary team bury a fighter like the way they did. Yeah, I really did, but it was true. I suppose. Like what, what, what else am I supposed to say? Right. Usually they just ignore something like that, but yeah. Yeah. Can you do I it? like that. They were telling the truth, man. Yeah. I, you know, it is true. Um, I have never seen a fighter come up with like a hand injury quicker than when somebody mentioned the name Cyborg. Turner. Like, oh my god, I'm I'm injured. And look, frankly, Sean, I would do the same thing. Like, I would be too. If they were like, Jeremy, you're gonna fight Cyborg. I'm like, well, I just shit my pants. I think I've got a. I think I've got an intestinal issue. I'm sorry, I can't. So I can't blame her. Yeah, that that is true. Right, let's move on. We're going to be here all day if we don't. Uh, Robbie Lawler against Donald Cerrone. I uh, I have to apologize a bit to Donald Cerrone. Robbie Lawler came out hard and fast at the start. I thought it was going to be over within 90 seconds. But in fairness, Cerrone, he, you know, he went balls to the wall, kept in there with Robbie Lawler. It looked like he hurt his eye at the start. Joe Rogan mentioned it, and then it kind of opened again. It was, I don't know, it was just a bit weird. I'd maybe got a poke or something. But he came back, won the second round. Robbie Lawler looked very, very rusty, I thought, but did enough. Came forward. It was basically just, you know, bit down on his gum shield it's actually it's funny actually, it's actually you're biting up on your gum shield because think about it with bite it's your bottom lips bottom teeth that go up you can't move your top teeth down so there you go biting up on his mouth shield that was just pointless uh but yeah it was, it was a good fight i don't think it was i don't think it was the excellent fight a lot of people were expecting and i used you were saying it last week were you it was still a good fight but i don't think it was the unbelievable war a lot of people were expecting no in well, I mean, it was a real good fight, I, you know, and when it first started off when Robbie came and blitz, blitz Cerrone and Cerrone actually looked confused, like what in the hell is happening right yeah. now? Um, I, I was sitting there thinking, well, this is not going to last long. And, you know, credit to Donald Cerrone, man, he endured. And, and the fact that he's doing that against welterweights, um, I, don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know if I've told you the story, but there, there, probably two and a half years ago, there was a fight where Matt Brown, one of Matt Brown's opponents fell out and I text was texting Dana White like, hey, dude, why don't you get Donald Cerrone? And he was like, you're a fucking idiot. He's way too small. You know, he'll never compete. <laughs> well yeah, he's like, he's way too fucking small. What are you talking about? Um, and, and, you know, then Donald Cerrone went on to, to to beat Matt Brown and is now competing with the best welterweights on the planet. And he's really been a breath of fresh air. Just the fact that, I mean, he hasn't really bulked up that much. He's bulked up a little bit, but he hasn't bulked yeah. up that much. And he's kind of, I, he's gotten better you know, at 170. And I think that's one thing I never would have expected. I would expect him to be the same old Donald Cerrone, but he's gotten better. And and for him to stand in there with Robbie Lawler, who, uh, hey, one of my favorite parts of this fight was the fact that Donald Cerrone was clearly loving it and like was smiling at Lawler and trying to <laughs> high five him. Like, yeah, bro. Let's and Robbie Lawler was like, dude, fucking get the fuck out of my yeah. face. Like, why <laughs> don't like he was having none of it, dude. That was hilarious. Um, But man, I, I love this fight. I love that. I, I could watch this fight. I, I wish it was five rounds. Yeah. Um, obviously, we can't have four or five round fights on a car, but I, I wish it were five round fight, and I'd love to see it again. And in fact, I'd rather see Lawler and Cerrone again, you know, more than I'd like to see Lawler and Tyron Woodley. Uh, I love the fight. I love the technique. 
um, I love the fact that Donald Cerrone is just is competing uh, with the best welterweights on the planet. And yeah, man, it, this was a fun fight. I, I love watching too. Robbie Lawler is just uh, he is one of my favorite fighters to watch on this on this planet. Right. I mean, like just the violence, the the verve, which he throws everything with. You know, he puts everything into every punch. It seems like there's no there's no feeling out process. There's none of that shit. Uh, he's really become I think he's really become what Dana White thought he was going to become 15 years ago, 16 years ago. He's he's actually become that guy now. He is. Yeah, he, he was always a great prospect, but it, it kind of fell short a lot, a lot of time. But as you said, he, he really has become I, I really love watching Don Cerrone as well. You know, he's one of the, another one of those all action guys. Maybe he doesn't hit as hard as Robbie Lawler and stuff, but yeah, it was a good fight and looking forward to both of them uh, fighting again. You know, Don Cerrone against Gunnar Nelson. Make that happen. Yeah, I, mean, I can watch that. That's a good fight. All right, let's move on. Volkan Ozdemir Vince Jimmy Manaman. Not much to say about this one. Ozdemir uh, got in the clinch, held the back of Manawa's head, punched him in the face. Rocked him, punched him with, I think it was a right hook, knocked him down, and Manuel hit his head off the ground, kind of knocked himself out uh, on the ground. Any chance Ozdemir gets the next title shot before Gustafsson? No, if, hell if, no. If, yeah. Hell no. I no, I mean, it, yeah. you know, if it's not Jones and Brock Lesnar, if that's not Jones's next fight, I think Jones's next fight is Gustafsson. Uh, I'd be shocked if it's anybody else. Although, I mean, I, I really dig Ozdemir um, and his his new no time gimmick where he, like, <laughs> that is looks funny. at. He, my favorite part is that he keeps tapping his wrist where his watch should be, but he doesn't have a yeah. watch because he's yeah. got no time, which is fucking hysterical. <laughs> like I, I love that. That's, yeah, it's such a subtle thing. He's like, I've got no time. Look, I've got no watch. Like I, that, I can get behind that. I really was. Uh, he came in, he did his business. He had a post fight promo ready to go. Uh, he really made a, you know, he really kind of made something of a name for himself. Yeah, it's it's hard to see who he's going to actually fight next. Uh, like he's, as you said, he's probably not going to fight Gustafson. Uh, Glover Teixeira just lost to Gustafson. Obviously, he just beat Manoa. That's everyone in the rankings above him. Then you're looking at Shogun Hua uh, just underneath him. No, and, no um, please no. I, I I think that's what's going to happen. I'm just I looking at him here. Oh, well, think... you know, if 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 Daniel Cormier fights again, which honestly I don't think he's going to. Um, or if he doesn't go to heavyweight, uh, I, yeah, I could see that. You know, right? Ozdemir and Cormier. Yeah. I mean. But the, the thing is, is I, I don't think, you know, I haven't spoken to him, but I don't think DC has any, uh, I think that, I think we've probably seen the end of his career. He makes a lot of money with Fox. Um, he's been in combat sports, you know, since he was a pretty much a baby. And so I, I think, I think we've seen the end of him. If he doesn't go to heavy, you know, I could see him going to heavyweight and take a couple fights, but um, I, I, I don't think he's going to fight again. Uh, but I mean, I, you know, I'd want, they both lost. They both lost on the same card. Timing works out. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that, if I mean, I think DC would just wreck him, and so what's the point of hurting yeah. a potential prospect, especially exactly. one with a gimmick as good as No Time? What about Manoa against DC? They have been going at it for ages. I think that makes sense. Bottom line, yeah, it does. I, mean, I think, yeah. yeah, I think DC just mauls him, right? You yeah, know? definitely. Yeah, I think Manoa. It's unfortunate for English MMA, all these prospects that keep coming through and all falling short. You know, Dia Casey. I still think he's going to be a UFC champion, but like it, it just happens so often, and it's a bit. It, it, you know, it's it's hard, I suppose, for UK MMA. But I, I never thought Manoa could get up there. To be honest. He just has so many, he just has so many frailties in his game and game thing. I put, I picked him to win this fight, but I tweeted, you know, before the fight that it, this is a tough fight for him. You know, if if he didn't land that one shot and that one kill, that was going to be very hard. And and you know, it was he, get that far to be honest. He he just 
kind of took it from Manoa at, at the very start. But uh, yeah, let's yeah. move on. We're going to be here all day. Uh, Ricardo Lamas had a good win against against Jason Knight as well in a fight that it was good, but did, maybe Jason Knight is, is not the prospect we were expecting earlier, although he's still, you know, early in his UFC career. Aljamain Sterling beat Hinn and Brown. I thought it was a pretty good fight. Hinn and Brown got very, very tired and Aljamain Sterling came on. Uh, Hinata Maikano and Brian Ortega put on a great fight. Ortega with another third round finish. Uh, I think... Um, Phil, Phil McKinsey, I believe is his name, uh, from Bloody Elbow tweeted that Brian Ortega has yet to win a full round in the UFC, but has like four finishes in a row. So uh, that's, that's the kind of fighter he is. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to see him against Max Holloway. What do you think? They're going to give it to your boy Frank Edgar, and I have absolutely no interest in seeing Frank Edgar get his 97th title shot in a row. No, me either. Me either. I have no interest in that. Yeah, give it to Ortega. T-City, worst nickname in the UFC. But yeah, uh, Calvin Qatar was good as well. Beat Andre Touchy-Feely in a, in a pretty good fight. Uh, Alexander Albu as well got a good win over Kalen Kern. Jared Brooks got a good win as well. And Drew Dover with a beautiful knockout. Here, before we move on, you mentioned there um, they couldn't put four title fights. Do you know who would put four title fights on a card? World Series of Fighting. Do you know World Series of Fighting had a card this week with Jake Shields, a man who's beaten both Tyron Woodley and Damian Moya? on it and you should as well i didn't even know i got an email there i, I looked through my emails i was like oh world series fighting i see me a lot of emails i didn't even know this card was happening until i saw the results so yeah i mean i i you know it well for one thing it's called the professional fighters league now or um, <laughs> no it's not come on and and, and secondly yeah. like i i didn't know about it either but then greg savage who used to be the executive editor of suredog.com you know long time brilliant website MMA, I there's some great yeah, writers MMA, yeah well i heard they have a lot of good writers and then one terrible writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he, but he, you know, he's been around the MMA <laughs> game a long, you know, <laughs> MMA journalism a long time, real good dude. Um, you know, he's, he's their head of communications now. Um, and so I started getting emails from him, like all these quotes and stuff. And I'm like, Oh my God, this, is, just, this is not <laughs> what this is like. For one thing, I didn't sign up for this, Greg. And for number two, like, I don't care. Number three, why are you running a fucking card on this night? Like, that's not yeah. very smart. It is really weird. Here, here's one thing before we move on, because there isn't really much to talk about. We'll talk a little bit about next week's card and then get to, get to the questions. Uh, on, on that uh, Facebook live chat, myself and I did, uh, I, I started, I did a little bit of a rant about um, the media and the way they've been covering McGregor Mayweather. And I, I'll explain exactly what I'm saying in a second. But if a couple of people asked to talk about it, maybe in the podcast, I'd like to get your opinion on it. My, here's my point, right? Especially in Ireland, and I know it's probably the same in in the US, that a lot of people in the mainstream media have been writing articles or going on the radio and absolutely poo-pooing the Mayweather McGregor thing, saying it's bad for the sport and that, like, how can the you know the sports recover from this? This makes the sport look like a laughing stock. While at the same time, and I look very closely at it this week, the best card uh, could be the best, one of the best cards in UFC history, a hundred percent the best card of the year, you know, and it turned out to be a really good card. And it was, there was re- literally radio silence from a lot of these people. And these people have the, the gall to come out and say, this is a disgrace to the sport. This is not helping the sport. You know, the sport's a joke. And then they don't even give a fuck about the sport. They're not even talking about the best card in the sport. You, you know, I was on 2FM during the week. They're great. They do it all the time. I've been on loads of times. PT's been on. Nile has been on talking about cards. Other places, you know, papers like it was ranting in the Irish Independent or the Times or on, on uh, Off the Ball. I, I know a show you've been on before. Great guys. I, I didn't hear ranting from any of them. Yet they, you know, all of those things would shit on McGregor Mayweather saying it's bad for the sport all the time. I know that's the right to do that. But it's a bit ironic, too, that 
they actually don't give a shit about the sport and don't give a shit about the best of the sport and only chime in when the you know uh, at something they think is bad and bad for the sport actually happens well i mean dude john that's been going on for 15 years i mean that's i know the, fuck them i know <laughs> fuck them. Exactly. that's the way it is dude that's the know, way it is with mainstream media mainstream sports journalism uh you know uh, they they can't be bothered with the UFC unless there's something that they they've got a hot take that they've got to they've just got to share with the world. So you get you dude honestly I don't even notice that stuff anymore because it's been yeah. happening so long. Yeah, I know I, I expect it from the papers and stuff, but it was especially radio stations just annoyed me a lot. Uh, like fair play to two FM here in Ireland, they, you know they covered it, but yeah, it, it was just really weird. But I thought I'd, I'd mention it anyway. Uh, right, next week's card, almost nothing to talk about this card. Um, let me look through it. Uh, Brad Scott against Jack Manson for people around here is not a bad fight on the undercard. Uh, Ronnie, yeah, I'll probably uh, triangle someone. Um, Sam Alvey's fighting Rashad Evans. What do you think of that one? I know. Yeah, I didn't know. even know there was a card. I didn't even know there was a card, honestly, until mm-hmm. uh, you just mentioned that there was a card and I pulled it <laughs> up. Uh, and so I, I was Sam Alvey and Rashad. Not only is it like like he's on the main card, not the main event, but he's like the second fight on the yeah main card, and and. Sergio Pettis is fighting someone named Moreno, which who I don't know which who that is. So um yeah, I'm looking at all these faces. Well, I'm looking at all these faces on this car and like there's one guy, the guy who's fighting Honey Yaya. I, I don't know if you've seen Brionis, Henry Brionis, like if you yeah. look at his he looks like he's asleep, which is <laughs> amazing. Um yeah, dude. I don't think I'm gonna watch this mm. like, unless I have to. Um and hopefully I don't have to. So Yeah. I've I've like half a preview written for this, and I usually write my previews a week and a week, a Wednesday week beforehand, and I just haven't bothered doing this one yet. So yeah, I'm, yeah I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we've got one fight on the fight pass prelims that looks like TBA versus TBA because uh, they don't have pictures, so it's like a shadow versus a shadow, which is pretty hilarious. <sighs> Looking forward to that one, but uh, it, how depressing would it be if Sam Alvey beat Rashad Evans? My it would God. be, but I mean, I kind of fully expect that to happen. At this really. Point. I yeah, know. I mean, dude, Rashad, I, you know, I like Rashad Evans a lot, but uh, it's probably long past time for him. Yeah, so. I, I still don't think Sam Alvey's going to, I think Rashad Evans, uh, uh, probably, the, the, the top two fights are good, but uh, as you said, a lot of people probably won't know him, Randa Marcos, I, I've been a big fan of Horse for Age, a big fan of Alexa Grasso as well, someone who needs a lot of improvements, I think Randa Marcos will probably win that by uh, rest, uh, wrestling and putting pressure on Alexa Grasso. But, yeah, that's uh, a good fight. Yeah, that is good for Sergio Perez against Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno is a guy who who came in and uh, choked out Lewis Smolka on short notice and has won a couple That's of fights right. since then. Probably the biggest prospect at the moment in, yeah, in the final division. You've also got Cristiano Ronaldo versus Nico Price. So, Oh, wait, that's Alan Joban. Okay. <laughs> he is a good-looking man, of Ernest. He really is. He, he does look like Ronaldo, but he probably doesn't flop or whine. Uh, as much as Ronaldo. Flop. Fucking American boss. It's diving. Dying, I'm sorry. Sake. Tom Tom Brady got a, a try there, and he's he's matched last. Uh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this card, this card sucks. It is it so. is pretty bad. Yeah, uh, but I like the main event. Though. I, I watching a bit of uh, Sergio Pettis uh, coming up before this there because I'm excellently prepared every week for the uh, for the podcast. I think he's improved an awful lot. He's actually got a little bit more like Anthony Pettis, but I think that's a better game to play at, at a lower weight. Yeah, uh, I, I man, here's the thing. I okay, so so Sergio Pettis um, is like you, you know in like when you were in high school or whatever uh, grade school, and you had 
like with i don't know if you ever had any like a, an older brother and a younger brother in your like and they went to your school um and the younger brother thinks he's awesome because the older brother is awesome like i don't know if you ever have you yeah. ever experienced that that's exactly what <laughs> yeah, sergio no, pettis no. says dude like when when i've seen you know like anthony pettis when they've fought on the same car and i've covered it and like sergio pettis this little motherfucker just struts around and dresses like anthony like acts like anthony uh, and it's just the most annoying thing ever and i don't know why i had to bring that up just now but i did so because you're a bit of a prick let's be honest that's it yeah it is. well i mean look dude the more time i have to spend on this fucking podcast with you the more of an asshole i become that's true right let's let's wrap it up let's move on to the questions uh first question this is one you might know, Mr. Podge at one, Mr. Podge, friend of the podcast. Will the Ali Act ever come into MMA? And he he quotes Matt Mitrion tweet, which quotes a Pauli Malinaji tweet talking about the Ali Act. Well, what's your what's your take on this? Do you think we'll ever see it? Or you know, I know there's a court case kind of going on at the moment where Randy Couture and a few more guys are involved now. Yeah, I don't know, man. Never say never, right? I mean, yeah. uh, all it, all it takes is to, like a, a senator or a couple of senators to get behind, uh, or at least a notable you know, um, a member of the house of representatives or a Senator to get behind it and really push it. Uh, or like, you know, Donald Trump deciding he probably sees something on Fox news when he's watching TV in the morning about the Ali act. And then, you know, decides he wants to get behind it. Uh, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, and, and it's a good thing too, because a lot of these fucking managers have incredible conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they'd all be in a whole lot of trouble if the Ali act were in MMA. Uh, I don't think it happens anytime soon. Um, you know, it would take not, it would take a Senator. It would take some congressmen. It would also take some other big names who are currently involved, like a Conor McGregor uh, yeah. to, to get involved. Uh, but I don't see that happening. A little bit appropriate well, as well. Let's call the Ali Act when the biggest uh, manager uh, slash yeah. promoter in in MMA is called Ali as well, but are used to slash be promoter. Asshole. So yeah, that's a, slash asshole. Yeah, slash international international man of man of yeah. Mystery. Slash I hang out with Chechen warlords who kill people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What? Oh yeah, I suppose that's we can't get, but we could get into that now. But it'll take no, us an hour. We'll but, save, yeah, we'll save that for next week. We'll save that for next week. Uh, Mr. Podge again, how does John Jones eventually lose his title? Do you think he gets beaten, stripped after another fog up, or he'll retire? I think he gives up the, the light heavyweight title. Um, and goes moves to heavyweight. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Brian Cullen at fake Brian Cullen. Is Woodley the Mourinho, the Mourinho of MMA boring and stifling and only trying to stop you or what you're good at? Exactly. That's exactly like Mourinho. <sighs> How, how dare you? Uh, Nick, a good friend of the podcast, asked about was it a late stoppage. I think we bought a group. I think, yeah, we, it was a little bit late, but um, uh, yeah, part of the line. Uh, Dara Kelly at Kildara uh, talks about uh, uh, Rogan interviewing DC. Uh, John Jones versus Gus in New York card. Do you think that's possible in November? Uh, no, I don't. How far away are we from November now? Yeah, it's a little bit close, I'd say, maybe, yeah. Yeah, it's a little uh, bit close. And, I, I, you know, honestly, I think that um, – I think Jones is – I mean, you heard him talk about it afterwards. Like, he kind of had – he says he's accomplished all he needs to accomplish at light heavyweight. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I still think part of him probably wants to beat Gustafson, you know, decisively. Um, but I think he's more worried about he's, – he's kind of following Conor McGregor. He's more worried about yeah. getting big money fights now. We actually have a question. Andy Hall, next question. Is Jones Lesnar product of McGregor era and the UFC calling for the money fights straight away? 
after yep. it. I, th- I think it is really. You know, John Jones even said it afterwards uh, that uh, he, he, you know, Conor McGregor has been an inspiration to him, and I think it's exactly it. But I think this is a little bit different. You know, when Tyron Woodley is looking for Nick Diaz and looking for GSP, is like he hasn't, you know, he hasn't really earned it. He hasn't done enough, and he's been a bit boring as well. But when John Jones says that he's, you know, he's beaten DC twice, beaten Gustafson, you know, he's even though he's been, you know, he's barely fought in the last three years, he's still kind of cleaned out the division. You know, he's beaten Glover Teixeira. You're looking down at Odzimir, who's ranked like number six for the for the possible next guy. You know, so. Yeah, I think it's a little bit different. I still think it's it's a good fight as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I do think well, like if Tyron Woodley wanted to fight Brock Lesnar, I'm sure the UFC would be fine with that. So yeah, uh, up the Dars at up the Dars does DC beat Stipe? Uh maybe. God, that's a great say, fight. God, that's a great fight. And so is Jones and Stipe. I think they're both great fights. It's hard. It's hard for me to call either one. Yeah. I don't know. Does he? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I don't know. I I think I'd lean steep a little bit because of the, that power he has, and DC has been knocked out now as well, and he's shoving on in age. You know, he's t- he hasn't taken that much damage over he, over his career, but yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd lean steep a little bit. Andy Hall again, Habib versus Ferguson. Do you think it'll ever happen? I don't really care. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll happen. I think it'll happen probably later this year. Yeah, um, yeah, I do as well. Uh, Joey Gahan, what do you think of the first episode of Mac All Access? Uh, you probably Let's haven't see seen it, have you? I, uh, nope. it, it was basically just the Dana White video blogs um, o- over and over again. You know, it, it, there really wasn't much uh, happening, to be honest. But I'm, I'm sure the next three will be good. Um, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'd say both lads, from what I've heard anyway, are, are very, very coy about letting... The, the the cruise film anything because they don't want to give anything away so that could yeah. be a bit weird but um here's here's a bit of well, break also I mean, May, I mean mcgregor well, probably doesn't want what doesn't want graham like around film and crap so exactly I mean, can you blame him i can't i i hear uh i hear a certain sensei portal is coming in this week as well so that oh, should be dude, that should game, be fun. game changer <laughs> game changer Bring hopefully it. we get some more videos of connor trying to jump up on a high bar on the beach and <laughs> he failed <laughs> He don't have a suitcase full of playing cards yeah. with him coming over. <laughs> noted, noted Liverpool fan Conor McGregor. <sighs> Stop speaking of Liverpool. Derek Kelly asked again. Lucknan versus Pimblet is getting some traction. Do you think Graham Bynum would make this fight? I think Paddy needs a few easier fights. Yeah. Um. They've been talking about this for a long time. Lucknan's fighting at, at I think he's fighting, is he fighting a lightweight or one forty five? Yeah. They they both kind of fight around the same. Then they both lost our last fight. Brendan Lachnan against Paddy Pimblet. This is kind of a UK MMA. Yeah, I'm gonna let you take that. But yeah, I don't think it's gonna happen because one's in ACB and one's in Cage Warriors. And I don't. Paddy Lachnan has been offered a contract by Cage Warriors before to fight one fight, or not to fight for the title. But then he has to fight. He has to defend the title if he wins it, and he didn't want to do that. Now Paddy Pimblet doesn't have the title, so maybe it's possible. But um, maybe, we should, maybe we should ask that one journalist who gets paid by both of those companies, to do it, or at least one of those companies, to uh, see if he has any insight. Uh, yeah, we we should. Maybe we should He's ask him. Huh? Maybe we should ask him where he bought his followers as well. Yeah, mm. and why his hands are so white. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost. Hashtag ghost hands. Uh, <laughs> White Walker. Uh, let's move on. Patrick Sheehan, which fighter in the UFC would have the best chance of defeating John Jones? Um, see. I think, honestly, I think Daniel Cormier had the best chance. <laughs> and so, 
I don't even know now at this point. I mean, may, okay, maybe Stipe. Maybe Stipe, yeah. I, I was thinking about it. I, I think Prime Kane would have a would have a good chance just because he'd, he'd put his back against the cage and hold him there and clinch him there. Like, it's very hard to beat John Jones anywhere, but I think Kane is a little bit bigger as well than Dan Carmia, Daniel Carmia, and that might, might help him in the clinch. Yeah, you know, but Prime Kane was like one fight. So I suppose, yeah. And he oh. beat the shit out of Brock Lesnar. Uh, right. Stipe, Stefan Struve. There's an outside of the box one because he wouldn't be able to use his size and, and reach against Stefan Struve. Stefan Struve well, would knock him out. But but he would because Stefan Struve, despite being, you know, eight feet tall, yeah, he's, he's, never, really, he's never really used his length. That uh, is actually true. I, I just said that in a moment of madness there. I don't know why I said it. You do that a lot, though. So. Yeah, yeah. Dustin Hayes, one for butter. How disrespectful, disrespectful do you find Dana's treatment of Woodley? I mean, I, obviously it's disrespectful, but it's also par for the fucking course, right? Dana White's been doing that for years. I mean, yeah, like, that's true. That's what he Patrick does. asks, if McGregor was to win in, against Mayweather, do you think he'd continue in MMA or have an, uh, another boxing bout under McGregor, S&E, and Zufa yeah. Boxing? Well, first of all, he's not going to win. Second of all, um, I mean, I you know, if he wins, I I mean, I could see him maybe trying to fight the winner of Canelo and Triple G, right? I mean, I'd, why not yeah. keep going? That is, that, that is that is true. Kildar asks, does Jeremy have an Irish nickname for when he's on the podcast? He he suggests Bottler, Botsy, Botters, Botters, or Bottle. Mm, I, well, people, some of our my Irish buddies, not counting you because you're not my buddy, but some of my yeah. other Irish friends have you know, always called me Bots, and that's what people call me. So we'll just we can stick bots. with that. Yeah, Bots. Uh, I mean, John I know mentioned... what Bottler means. I know what bottling something yeah. means. So like, that's kind of an insult there. Appro- appropriate as well. At the same Thanks, time. guy. Thanks, guy. <laughs> John Minton, can we get a few minutes tribute to Seamus Coleman? What a player. Go on, Jeremy. Do it. How good is Seamus yeah, Coleman? Yeah, he's, he's uh, I mean, I, I don't know when he's coming back to the pitch, but I, I did see this morning that he's back in the back in the uniform and back in the kit and was at the, you you know, our photo Everton photo day was today and he was getting his photos taken. So I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll, you know, I think it'll be early 2018 before he's back, but, uh, Seamus is, I mean, you know, dude, you've wanted Seamus on, on man United for years. Yeah. Seamus is fantastic. And especially for the fact that I think we paid what 60,000 pounds for him. Slag like over. Well, yeah. yeah. Which is incredible. Mm-hmm. That's it. M McLean, another Everton question. What's more likely McGregor beating flight or Everton winning a trophy in our lifetime? Everton winning a trophy in our lifetime. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's it's about it's similar enough. I'd say it definitely. Uh, you is know what? Enough. You know what? You're an asshole uh, mm-hmm. because, I, well, we all know you're an asshole, but you're not yeah. because, like, I mean, we obviously have money now. We're going to be, you know, this is not the same Everton it was. That's true. That's so. true. Uh, Alan at AJK underscore Dublin and John Minton, I believe, as well. Yeah, ask about KSW and what Irish fighters to be honest. Jeremy, nope, do you want to nope. take this one? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> Norman Park against. Uh, what's his name Gamrot was announced today but other than that I actually have no clue like all the Irish fight Paul Paul Redmond is signed to Bama I don't know whether they'd release him to fight that I, I guess they wouldn't um, Karen Moore is signed to Cage Warriors Peter Queeley is signed to another Russian promotion I don't think they're involved with them but they might be I'm not I'm not 100% sure like look uh, and it goes on and on Kiefer Crosby is signed as well you know all these guys seem to be signed to other promotions not whether they'll you know whether they let him out and and to fight on that, I'm not sure, but it, it's tough. I I honestly have no idea. So that's that's my answer to that one. Uh, I have no idea either. So. Andy Stevenson, a couple of questions. Feely against Artem, yeah, I think that makes sense. And if Jeremy was playing Harlan, what uh, what position would he play? I think you'll be, I think you'll be a rampaging 
half forward. I think you you could get your fitness up, put in put in about two years of hard strength and conditioning, and uh, and you, you you know you just run up and down the field all day. I don't know what any of that means that you just said, but uh, I better not have been an insult. It, it wasn't. No, it was, it was okay. actually great. Last question, Brendan Curran. If you could go for points with three fighters on the UFC roster, who would you bring? Do what? Go for points. Drink points. Pub. Oh. Um, okay, so I've I've had drinks. I went I went shot for shot with Stefan Struve about five years ago. That was a terrible idea. So what I would do is I would probably pick flyweights. Yeah. Um, so I would say, well, and maybe people who don't drink. So Joseph Benavidez, because yeah. he does not drink at all. Uh, so I him Uriah Faber, also, uh, and then probably let's see who else. Uh, I you know uh, Kaylin Curran because I feel like she probably couldn't hold her liquor. Okay, let's move on from that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was drinking with Dustin Poirier before, and he was a sound old lad. So I'd say him. Um, Neil Siri would be a bit of crack, and uh, I don't know. I would have said Ryan Nelson, but he's not in the UFC roster anymore. But uh, I got Stepe. I think Stepe would be a bit of, a bit of crack. Andrei Arlovsky would probably do, be the worst person to go drink. Oh, we're with. talking about like who would be the most fun to drink with? Yeah. Oh, I thought we were talking about like who could be out drink. Okay. Oh, uh, no. oh then that's a different story. I mean, there's a lot of dudes. Um, one super entertaining guy to drink. You know what? I'm not even going to go there. I'm not gonna, not going to go there. <laughs> No, we're not going to go there. Right. <laughs> let's let's leave it at that. If you had to pick three MMA media members, Scott, drinking points with, who would you go with? Um, well, I'll tell you who the the most fun that I've had drinking with MMA media was with John Morgan. Um, I was, uh, did you hear about me and John Morgan? I, yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I once saw, so we, w- we were in uh, Denver one time for a fight card, and we went to this place that had blue moon on sale it was a dollar uh, a pint and so my buddy matt brown who used to be my old boss at heavy ordered 50 pints uh at once and he and john morgan just essentially i mean i think they probably drank 35 of them between the two of them uh, about- and then they yeah and then they started playing cornhole you know like the beanbag game and yeah. it was the most hilarious cornhole game i've ever seen like i mean J- morgan was like throwing the beanbag and missing the target by 20 feet like hitting the wall on the opposite side of the the target uh so yeah john morgan is a blast to drink with uh, so i would actually just you know i've had many many days drinking with john morgan so i'll just i'll just pick him and leave it at that i'd, I'd like to drink with luke thomas as well because i reckon i get him no, really wouldn't. really mad i reckon no, I would. you could you could but he's also like six foot eight and 300 pounds and can drink like crazy and also he's an asshole so there's that yeah that's true but we'd be well met so because i'm a big asshole as well so yeah you know i would like to see that yeah be a bit of crack bring him over to ireland because i'm definitely not going to america they'd never let me out of america no they wouldn't you would never you would never leave yeah, definitely. Right. Another week in the books. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Go over to severemed.com forward slash merchandise and buy a beautiful T-shirt. Uh, or buy Kildara there who asked some questions. Got one the other day. Absolutely beautiful T-shirt. Go over and look at it on his webpage. Buy one. Uh, severemed.com as well. Jeremy is on Bleacher Report. Actually, what do you think of that tweet Bleacher Report sent out with Daniel Carmi at Grindfest? Oh, I knew you were going to bring this up. Um it wasn't. You know, the, I, I heard it was. It was like a, an outside company that does the social media or something. Isn't it? Yeah. No. It, we. I mean, people were texting me like, "What's up with that? Why'd you do that?" And I'm like, "Dude, you're. If you think that a huge company like that 
uh, they, they don't even follow me on Twitter, the main account. <laughs> they follow me. A huge company like that just lets us, um, just lets, you know, random MMA writers um, tweet from it. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. whole team of uh, a social media company that runs that stuff. And, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of them are not really MMA fans. Um, and so actually they're probably not MMA fans at all. Uh, and so I, you know, without getting into too much detail, I think it was a not super fortunate, uh, not really well thought through and glad it was deleted. Yeah. Well, they did employ you as well. So they're prone to making mistakes. That um, is true. They, <laughs> they, they give me a paycheck every month. So, <laughs> okay. Follow me on Twitter. at Chanchi and bath. Follow, uh, Jeremy at Jeremy Botter. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Butter. Let's get that inspirational quote. Let's get it. Yeah, here on. we go. Being defeated is often a temporary condition. Giving up is what makes it permanent. See you next Tuesday.